listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. All right. Welcome to episode 54 of Cinemental. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Then why don't you kiss me like everybody else does? How about new? The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. I came here like this so you'll know my word of death is true. And that my word of life is then true. everyone and welcome to another episode of the movie podcast we can only hope you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making my name is Stephen hovicky and as always i'm here with my co-host Hassan godwin and latham conger the third well christmas. merry christmas everyone no guests tonight and we're gonna simply enjoy each other's companies as best we can and discuss our own personal happy holiday Hell. films oh okay <laughs> now go for about where you were going go for about three minutes bye humbug when we uh, when we decided to do a Christmas show, uh, we went back and forth on on what exactly we were going to uh, talk about, uh, and we we settled on uh, on picking each of us picking a a holiday film that we enjoy. Let's say maybe not uh, love, but at least enjoy. And uh, so we we did three movies. We're doing each going to pick our own movie and and dissect it that way. But first. As always, we will suffer from consumption. So, uh, so Latham, what did you watch this week? Uh, first of all, the, uh, uh, Steve should not be allowed to go first in these anymore. What? Why yeah. <laughs> because you, I think I should go first. Yeah, you me. watch entirely too much stuff, and then the rest of us sound like we're slackers on the television oh, department. Uh. <laughs> Well, things will change for me after this a couple more days, hopefully. But, uh, you know, we watched uh, Forensic Files. We watched uh, Fuller House. And we watched uh, our way through ER. And, um, you know, those are all good shows we're enjoying. And then um, we watched uh, the, the conclusion of The Mandalorian, which I'm not as high on as everyone else is. I think it's good. Certainly not the best episode of the season. That was the week before, and you know, that's uh, that's all I've really watched. There's just nothing else. I've, uh, how many how many episodes of ER do you think you get through a week? Uh, about four or five. Okay. Um, so we're we're midway through season one already, and there, I I keep telling her when we come up upon a big pop culture one or iconic one that she you know that my daughter will but hopefully enjoy as much as I did. And the, the big one coming up is uh, there's an episode called Love's Labor Lost where someone, uh, a, a couple brings in uh, their, uh, a man brings in his pregnant wife and the baby needs to be delivered. And the whole episode is them trying to de- deliver this baby and they just can't figure out a way to do it. They just, just keep coming up with problem after problem and it's, excruciating to watch this episode it's it's probably one of the best in the series so wow. it's uh 
and you know Anthony Edwards, who's never given enough credit for this show. I mean, he's he's unbelievable in this one. So I can't wait to watch that. That's coming up in a couple. Anthony Edwards was solid throughout. Has been solid throughout his entire career. He's, uh, you know. He, he just didn't have, didn't have the Hollywood looks. That's yeah, that was the only just, thing. Well, that... he didn't take the Hollywood track either. He, you know, he stayed doing like romantic comedies and you know funny, you know, funny little side movies in the eighties. And he just never took that. You know, ER was really his most dramatic step, to be honest. Yeah, but I mean, even still, I mean, he he never had. There's never a, been a question of him in anything you see that he, you know, people put him, people put him smartly have put him in roles that he was able to just absolutely nail. And, you know, it's, you know, but you didn't see him in anything where he just didn't believe that he was that guy. Right. I think his, I think Goose permanently sidekicked him though. Like he was, he's like the quintessential sidekick after, yeah, after uh, a Top Gun. That could know? be. Which is not bad. I mean, if you, I'm not even a sidekick, so I mean, you could, if you want to break in, that's that you could do a lot worse than uh, than getting to Anthony Edwards' tier. Yeah, of, and then of, uh, of course, of, unfortunately, then they killed him. But you know, what well, are you yeah. gonna, what are you going to do? <laughs> Oops, spoiler. Um, <laughs> if you haven't, come seen, on, man. If you're, it's only of, been thirty years. <laughs> if you haven't seen Top Gun, you may want to watch it. There's another one coming. Um, <laughs> Maybe oh, we ever no, get it, over this. Yeah, uh, it's done. It's it's in the can. Um, I'm just talking about when they're going to release it. Oh, you know? yeah, whatever. So put that damn thing out already. It'll be up. We're starving for content. God damn it. Please. That that, <laughs> that argument doesn't hold water anymore either. Um, uh, which reminds me, did you see the story about Kevin Feige's uh, comment about how he wants new? He wants new Disney product out every month next year. No. He wants a new, some new product, whether it's a movie or a TV series based on either Marvel or Star Wars. He wants it out every single month. How is that possible when ninety percent of the, the the Star Wars material that they advertised is going is coming twenty twenty two? How could they put I, something new out every month? <laughs> well, we'll see. I guess. So even Mandalorian isn't isn't coming back until Christmas, which is basically yeah. the end. You know, a you year. might as well call it twenty twenty two. And so we will begin our trek down this snowy Christmas path with Latham's choice. It's a wonderful life. Mary, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and next year and the year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet and I'm going to see the world. This is me. You remember me? George Bailey. What is it you want, Mary? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. I'm in trouble, Mr. Potter. I need help. At exactly 10.45 p.m. Earth time, that man will be thinking seriously of throwing away God's greatest gift. I don't want any plastics. I don't want any ground floors. And I don't want to get married ever to anyone. You understand that? I want to do what I want to do. 1946, directed by Frank Capra, a man who has missed out on most of the dream, most of his dreams because of his inherent goodwill, learns a valuable lesson when after a rather disastrous day, he wishes he'd never been born and is given the chance to find out just what that means, not only to him, but the world around him as well. Latham, why'd you pick uh, It's a Wonderful Life? Uh, besides it being my favorite Christmas movie, um, that's what we were picking, right? 
Yep. I think uh, <laughs> that was the parameter. Well, I picked it because it's my favorite Christmas movie. That was, that was Lathan's way of saying, why are you questioning me? <laughs> yeah. What's with the third degree? Uh, <laughs> because I like it. <laughs> uh, or, or I guess a better question would be, why is it your favorite Christmas movie? So we'll go with that. I, well, and it's fine. my favorite. I mean, I'm just saying that. But it's my favorite Christmas movie. Um my track on this is I never watched it to watch it as a Christmas movie. I we we I was shown it first in uh, film class in high school, so I had never oh. seen it till I was like seventeen, you know, senior year. And but I had heard about it. I'm like, oh, they always talk about this movie. They show it every year on TV. You know, is it's got to be cheesy. And you know, you're watching it. I'm watching it in film class over a. I think it took us three days to watch it because the periods were 45 50 minutes or whatever and yeah. i just remember the during the third part i don't you know i'd already fallen in love with the movie but you get you get so emotional in the last scene and i'm sitting there in class in high school ready to start bawling and trying to hold it back uh, so no, no no one notices that i'm <laughs> you know getting ready to tear up over what's going on on screen um you know it, it's just Frank Capra just made, he, you know, there weren't very many uh, director auteurs back when this movie came out, but he was one and you knew you were watching a Capra movie when, whenever, uh, you know, it, it was on. And this one, you know, he just, he, he sets you up and at the end of the movie, it's, you know, using Christmas as, as the, uh, as the as the background for everything that's going on, he he just gets you with, you know, there 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 is good in mankind, and we're going to show you the you know the best way of um, of portraying how someone you know finds redemption and and realizes you know that the most important thing in life is is friendship if you if you go along the, you know a path that leads you to it. And I just, it, it just feels to me like what I, what I view the spirit of Christmas to be. It's, you know, it's a very non-religious movie. It's, it's very just a movie about people helping others and humanity. And it, it just gets you, it, it gets me in the gut every time I can, I can watch it over and over. I can watch it every Christmas. I, I, I can't wait till I show it to my daughter. I haven't shown it to her yet because that's surprising the black and the black well the black and white's gonna set her off a little bit she, hmm. she she does have a bit of a bias against older films but that's <laughs> that's that was put a little bit put to rest with one of the other movies we're going to be discussing today which she watched with me um but um you know james james stewart just there is a yeah. color version but i don't know how you feel about Oof. that yeah yeah uh, i'm not gonna watch i, I mean a, col- a colorized version's just you know that's there's actually three, believe it or not. Are there really? Yeah. Well, it it's um, it, you know, I was gonna say James Stewart just he grabs hold of this movie and and just that's it. It's his movie from beginning to end. And I forgot the guy who plays Clarence. Um, I can't remember his name. I know it. And then Henry I, Travers. That's right. One of you know him as the supporting character. James Stewart as the main character. Uh, they just. You know, they just roll through this, and yeah. But the thing is, is you don't even you don't even see him until the last thirty minutes of the movie. You know, he doesn't even show up. 
Right. Right. Which is the, you know, the other amazing thing about that, you know, I mean, it's really, it, I mean, it's really, you know, and I, and I've, I know this was, this was, uh, this has been adapted as a stage play. <clears throat> right. So, uh, which I'd be really interested to see how they, how they, how they broke it up uh, as far as locations wise go uh, and how the set would work out uh, from a logistical standpoint, but that's another thing. You're all right. And um, you know, it's, I'm trying to think of other things I really like, but I just like the look of it. I like, uh, I guess you'd call it the saturation of the black and white in the film. It's just, it's different than other black and white films. I think helps add to maybe the realism of the story and also just the look of it. I think that affects how you get affected by it as you're watching it. I don't know. I just think, I I think it's a Christmas movie you can watch at any time during the year and appreciate it at the same level. I think some movie Christmas movies say like, I don't know, Elf. Elf is funny, but it, it carries more weight when you're watching it during the holiday season. This is a movie, and obviously when we watched it in film class, it was not during Christmas. It was like in the spring, and I was still like, wow, this is, this is unreal. This is, this is, it's no wonder it's considered a classic. Just every aspect of it is, is grand, and, uh, you know, again, what, what year was it, 1939? 46. Oh, 46 was it? Okay. 46, so 46 it well, well, 46, but it actually ended up getting pushed out and not actually being released uh, until January of 47. Okay. Okay. Which is also strange. Yeah, um, no kidding. But it's, uh, you know, it's just, there's these movies from back then that, you know, and there aren't many of them, but that, that really just resonate and don't, you know, don't lose anything throughout time. And, and this is, uh, this this is at the top of my list. It's it's probably in my top twenty five films of all time. Hmm? Wow, it's it, okay. really high. It's really high up. But I I I just adore it. It's you could show it to anyone, and it would be hard for I I it would I I would question the human being that did not like this film. <laughs> hmm, that's what I think. About. Hassan, <laughs> maybe. Maybe I'll be maybe, questioning you. Maybe, maybe we should skip this part. Um, <laughs> no, this this movie is a is, is kind of strange because I didn't when I first saw it uh, when I was oh, I must have been a kid. I had to be. Um, I must have been because I was. I think I was at my grandparents' house, and I caught it. It was one of those things where there's nothing on, so I'm stuck watching this stupid black and white movie. You know. <laughs> And um, I didn't catch it from the beginning. I caught it right around the time that George lost the money, that George's uncle loses the money. Mm. And um, then, you you know, you kind of watch, it goes through the motion. And you, 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 as a kid, you don't realize that you're kind of kind of got caught up in the film, you know, that you're sitting still and watching a film. You know, you don't, it, it doesn't, doesn't, uh, it doesn't resonate with you. You're just, you know, okay, let's just see what happens next. And like, oh, well, how's he going to get out of that? And, you know, uh, you know, they go through the motions of the stuff. And then at the end, uh, you know, that, that amazing ending where everybody just kind of comes in and, and starts dumping money out. 
And until that movie, until I saw that movie, I didn't, I never understood why people cry during films. And I ended up, I was sitting in my grandparents' house crying and I only saw a quarter, the, 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 the last quarter of the film. I didn't wow. even see the whole damn film. That's surprising. So, so I'm like, okay, I, you know, I get it. I get it. It's wonderful. You know, there's been other movies since then that, I, you know, you get a little misty watching. Sure. But I watched this movie again specifically from the beginning to the end um, because of this show. And I ended up, because of what happened, because, I, because of uh, when I started watching it, I started watching it really late. And I, so I, I, I saw probably the first three quarters of it, and then I kind of dozed off a little. And then I woke up just as uh, George is coming back, to, you know, coming back from the bridge, um, having been alive again. Or having been, having ex- uh, discovered that he exists again amongst all his friends and family, and uh, you know that ending happens again and again. I'm in tears now. You know the 2020 you know Hassan is in is in tears. <laughs> so then I had to go back to to make sure that I I saw all the events that led up to it. So I went back to. Um, his uncle losing the money, and then uh, Clarence, the 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 angel, you know, walking him through all the all the stuff that would have gone wrong if he he never existed. Right. And then back to the ending, and this is like twenty minutes later. Like I went, you know, I saw the end, I cried a little, I rewound it, watched it again. The end came up again, and I cried again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so the movie's fucking genius. Okay. Let's just let's say it like that. I, there is a there is a moment of that the the very beginning where that kind of really insipidly cute angel talking to Saint Peter moment where you're like okay really guys you're you're really doing this as a twinkle you know of lights in the sky is yeah. it, are we really doing this and then the movie just rips into uh, you know George saving his brother and then losing his you know losing his hearing in one ear and then you're just caught up in the film after that. I didn't realize until watching it um, intently this time just how many um, simple circumstances kept robbing George of his. I know that was the premise of the story, right? But it was so subtle how things just kept getting in the way of him being able to, you know, do anything but leave that town and leave that uh, the 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 building and loan uh, uh, business, even even. Saving his brother cost him his ability to go to war, which may or may not have been a good thing, you know, but sure. it did, there was just no way to get out of there. Now, his consolation prize was, you know, Donna Reed, which as as prizes go, <laughs> you know, holy yeah. mackerel. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and nothing wrong with that. Thing. That's a whole other thing. Just absolutely radiant. Yeah. And then also something about how I don't know if it was, you know, it, it you got to call it acting. You could see it every time she looked at him. You know, mm-hmm. like the, just just the way she 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 looked through him, you know, every right. time, which was, you know, the the uh, Gloria Gaim who kind of looked at him with that kind of mis- mischievous, you know, she she had a mischievous crush on him, whereas oh, or, Violet. or Violet. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Donna had like a, a, you know, a genuine affection for him. And you can, and yeah. it was very, it's very obvious. It's yeah. very well done where it's obvious. Yeah. And yet they don't depict uh, Violet in a negative way. That's another great thing about the film is that no, even except for, <laughs> except for Mr. Potter, who is, who might as well have had horns 
through the whole story. Um, yeah. He's and he's, the great the great Lionel Barrymore. Yes, the everybody has character flaws, but those character flaws aren't depicted as a as as villainous or or genuinely negative. Even when his brother comes home from college and he married and he's going to take another job which is going to stop uh george from being able to leave yet again right. his brother actually says you've you've you know you've carried the torch for too long i'm not going to take the job you know right so even his, his brother doesn't come in with a chip on his shoulder like right. i gotta get out too and you know this is my life but nobody really screws him over it's just it's just all circumstantial stuff and the fact that he is too much of a He's too compassionate to be selfish, you know, and to, you know, even, even on his honeymoon where his, where Donna's, Donna Reed's like, come on, George, honestly, let's get out of this town. We, this is our ticket out. And he, you know, he, for whatever reasons, he stays to make sure that the, the, that the business doesn't go under. And then, so because she loves him, she hands over their honeymoon money to, you know, to, to save the, the building and loan. It's crazy. The movie's really crazy. The the um, as a storyteller or as an aspiring storyteller myself, the the subtle ways which with which this movie just kind of goes through the the times and the ages, the 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 very um, the very blatant yet um, yet nuanced um, depictions of character, you know of and uh, you know and then of course. Uh, Jimmy Stewart, who is, I mean, it, it, everything has already been said about Jimmy Stewart, but you, this, this movie in particular, because I've seen a lot of Jimmy Stewart movies, this movie in particular, you, you see why, you know, he was, and still is, you know, you see why they call Tom Hanks the, the modern day Jimmy Stewart, you know, exactly. you, um, it's, uh, I don't have anything bad to say about the film. <laughs> it's, it's a, and then I've, I've seen it. A total of three times this week, and three oh, times funny. it was an amazing kind of experience. You know, it was with tears and everything. That ending just worked. I guess that ending just works in general. Yep. It's not like the first time you see it or whatever. It just works as an ending. It doesn't make a lot of sense because theoretically, if they wanted, they wanted, they have a warrant for him because of quote unquote embezzling. Even yep. if the town gave up the money, they still take his ass to jail. Yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't uh, stop it, but but you just don't care. You don't care. It doesn't. You know, it works, especially right. when you know Mr. Potter has that. We we as the audience knows exactly what happened, and that no one was to blame. Even his uncle, who was negligent, but he wasn't. You know, he wasn't so incompetent that you could lay it all on his feet. You know, um, right? Really good, really good movie. I mean, it's a wonderful life. Everybody knows that. We're not breaking any new ground here you know uh praising the film but it's a remarkably good film and it's seriously important this year as far as i'm concerned yeah holy i can imagine i can't i uh, imagine this film in 1947 just after coming off of world war ii for everybody and you get this amazing like uh you know and i i've i've heard i don't know if i heard this correctly i heard this movie actually bankrupted the the movie studio well, it didn't. It didn't make its money back. No. Okay. So I did yeah. hear it wasn't a financial success. 
You know, it's like kind of like oh, Casablanca. Yeah, where it, cost, it, wasn't... it cost him three point seven to make, and it it made back three point three on its initial run. It didn't do great in the box office. Wow, it goes to show. Yeah, uh, all of... growing up, uh, I heard from you know my mom was a big movie person, so you know I got a lot of my initial movie going. Uh, bona fides if you want to call them from her because in, in direction because she would point me into into the direction of seeing stuff that she thought was good and uh she was she was pretty much on point with most of it um i didn't see this film all the way through uh until obviously i'd heard a lot about it i'm sure i was probably in my early teens or when i when i find when i finished first saw it because like i said it was, it was nbc used to show this once a year and they had the the exclusive rights to that i think that's was when i saw it i think that's yeah, how i saw it that time. and it wasn't until it wasn't until the, the early 90s uh and usa broke that mold and sh- had a had the rights to show it over the course of a weekend and showed it like 12 times or something like that over the course of three days on a holiday weekend uh, and that basically broke the mold as far as the exclusivity of it and it just you know, now every channel and, you know, I mean, the movie was the movie was uh, dumped actually into the public domain uh, early on. They like said, you know, we're just going to put this movie into the public domain uh, and it wasn't recopyrighted until much later. Now, I appreciate this film uh, again, watching it. And I this is probably this is probably the third or fourth time I've seen it all the way through start to finish. And. My feelings on it overall have not changed. I think it's a very good movie. I just don't, I don't hold it in the place of regard that so many people do. Uh, I think it's a really good holiday Twilight Zone episode. And that's kind of how I've always felt about it. I always thought that it had a cool twist at the end that didn't, that didn't kick you in the nuts necessarily because it does come back around to being to end on a happy note so it was kind of like twilight zone plus you know it, it it allows the character to come back from it where in the twilight zone it just would have left him in that hell i there's without and i'm and just it's surprising to hear you say the first time you saw it that you came in when he lost the money and you still had the connection to it by the end because i feel that without that first sort of hour and a half or hour and 40 minutes of setup it's hard to make that connection really strike because I mean, they cover so much in that short period of time after, you know, him and Clarence get together and start doing a little travelogue through all the different instances. And they touch on literally every, almost every single character who's brought into the film is brought up in that second, that second or that third act, uh, except for Sam Wainwright. And, you know, you, you, you address them all in some manner. And, or or with or the what happened to in the in the sort of what if scenario. That's fair. That's fair. I don't know. For some reason, the action of the moment kind of yeah. grabbed me. You know. Oh no no but, no! Yeah, they're, 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 I'm not taking anything away from the ending of this film. I mean, it's an absolute it's an absolute heart squeezer. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it literally. It's, you know, it's, it's that's, pretty brutal. That, it's what it's designed to do. And you know, when I found what I found so funny watching it this time was is all these people bring in and they drop all the money on the table and there's a big pile of money and, you know, the guy even rips up the thing. And then he gets the, the, the communique from Sam saying, you know, 
you know, wired you up to $20,000 if you need it, you know, blah, 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 hee haw, whatever. And I'm just like, well, now all these people can take their money back because now, <laughs> yeah. now, now he doesn't now he doesn't need all their money. <laughs> so it's it's kind of like it, it, the real world, the real world practicality yes. of the thing comes into play just the same as I said. Yeah, that wouldn't have stopped them from taking his hauling right. him off and, to jail. And, but I, it's and, still... I, and I absolutely and I absolutely understand that if I loved the movie the way so many people do, stuff like that wouldn't even pop into my head. I would just be like. I would just look right past it and not even yeah. bring it up. But yeah. I, I, I'm able to look at it with a little bit different eye because of my sort of separation from this and my, my, uh, you know, listen, it's a good film. Uh, don't get me wrong. It's, you know, it's well done. It never, it never, it, it's never, um, there's never a point watching it where I, I felt like, come on guys, hurry up. You know, it, it gives you, it, it moves, it gives you all this information up front, uh, and it doesn't in, in, in an interesting way. Um, some interesting stuff uh, about that, you know, Potter getting away with essentially finding the $8,000 and essentially keeping it clear. I mean, we're, we, assume, we assume he just kept the $8,000. Um, it's interesting because at the time before the MPAA existed, there was something called the Hayes Code which mm-hmm. was a, a, a loose set of rules that Hollywood films had to abide by. And one of the things that was in, written into the Hayes Code was the fact that anyone who was a thief or an embezzler or, you know, somebody on the, on the wrong side of the law, let's say, uh, it was important that it was shown throughout the course of the film that they are brought to justice or at least punished in some manner for what they've done. And this was a super rare instance of a case where the guy who does the thievery, even though it is by thievery, by accident, by proxy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, is not punished in any way for his, his, his lack of discretion. You know, you get the, you get the slight impression that his man Friday or whatever has misgivings about it. There's like a slight scene when, when George, yells Merry Christmas in the window when he's, when mm-hmm. he's coming back to town and he, you know, he goes happy new year in jail, you know, he's, yeah. you know, getting his last, <laughs> his last, you know, evil mustache twirl. Yeah. And his, his man Friday kind of just gives him a look. Like yeah. you think that if anything's going to happen, if anything's going to break, that guy's going to break, but you know, they'd never do anything with it. No, no can, and they don't need to. It's a, it's no. a, it's it's a, that would be that would be a modern sidebar where they would have to go into a lot of detail. There, That's just it's it's off the beaten path. You don't even need to address it. There is an old SNL skit about the lost ending. Oh, it really? Has, um, it has what's his name? Uh, Dana Carvey playing the Jimmy Stewart role. Okay. That's how old it was. That's how long yeah, ago yeah. Dana Carvey. And they, and they take they go and beat the crap out of Potter at the end. of it. It's <laughs> really it's really funny. And. It, I remember I remember having seen it without having seen it's a wonderful life and still thinking it was brilliant. So that's funny. Um, it's on YouTube somewhere. I'll try I'm to sure. find it after this show. I'm sure. Yeah. It's a Lionel Barrymore. Uh, Mr. Potter is the one who actually talked Jimmy Stewart into taking the role of this because Jimmy Stewart had just come back from World War Two and was unsure if he was ready to return to acting. And so right. he. You know, this this story had originally been optioned at another studio. This was from a short. This film was based on a short story and uh, it had been optioned as another studio for a vehicle for Gary Cooper uh, before it got moved over to RKO. 
so they had approached Jimmy Stewart about playing the role and Jimmy Stewart was kind of hemming and hawing about taking the role. And Lionel Barrymore is the one who actually called him and talked him into coming on board to play, to play the role. Uh, I, so I think that, you know, in, in, in an interesting, in an interesting way, you know, those two characters and the way they're played Lionel Barrymore obviously is, you know, I mean, there's, you don't have to explain yes. anything about the Barrymore family. If you know anything about film to have him, sort of be aware and and have the wherewithal to know that you know the the potentiality of that would be so great um this was ranked as the the number one most inspirational movie of all time by the afi it's fair and uh <laughs> i think it's fair some some fun some some fun stuff uh so when when uncle billy leaves the house at uh when his brother's party and he's all drunk and walking down the street and it sounds like he he runs into a bunch of trash cans, you know, and, and, and you know, yeah. he's like, I'm all right. I'm OK. Yeah. Apparently, when they were shooting and the, this is the take they used. When Uncle Billy goes off screen, an assistant or somebody else working at this in on the set dropped a tray of props. And that's the sound you hear. <laughs> and Uncle Billy just yelled, I'm OK. I'm all right. <laughs> Even though he was off screen, it. and they just kept the take. Why wouldn't you? You know, <laughs> and they just they just they just went with it, and and that's the and that's the one they ended up keeping. There's a couple of scenes that a couple of things that happened. Uh, there were the where the the takes were, if not accidental, they were not planned, and they were the ones that ended up in the final the final version of this film. Um, and then the director uh, ended up paying. I think he ended up paying the guy who dropped the tray of props ten bucks. <laughs> he's like, ah. he's like, he's like, ah, happenstance. Good job. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, you know what was really what I found one of the things when I was digging into this a little bit when I found most interesting about this film was the fact that the Bedford Falls town. I mean, you look at that town, and of all of all the things, you would not expect that to have been a set that looks like it was just shot in they found a small town somewhere and they just used a small yeah. town maybe redid some signs that was a set that was built it's one of the largest sets that had ever been made for an american film uh it covered four acres of rkos and Sino ranch and took them two months to build wow including 75 stores and other buildings, Main Street, a factory district, and a large residential and slum area. Uh, Main Street was 300 yards long, three, three whole city blocks worth. Um, and, and obviously they had to have, and they had to make it so that it could be completely transformed for the alternate sequence. You know, all the storefronts were changed over to, you know, luckily it was shot at night, so they didn't have to, you know, they didn't have to do a lot of face work all other than, you know, putting up some neon signs and stuff over the existing storefronts. But um, I, I read that and I was just, I was blown away by that fact, you know, that they spent two months basically essentially building a town, you know, wow. so, you know, the, you know, the stuff they did, you know, and I mean, look at the, the money that was spent on the sets for like Cleopatra and, you know, and shit like that, that used to be done. And now just, you know, they can just be like, ah, eh, we'll just build it in a computer. You know, we're not, yeah. we're not, we're not going to worry about that. Um, the actress that played uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart's mom, Beulah Bondi, actually played Jimmy Stewart's mom in five films over the course of his career, in five different films. Wow. <laughs> it 
just, I'm just, I mean, I don't know if it was just a thing where it's like, oh, wait, this movie's got my mom in it. That's called Beulah. <laughs> <laughs> she's my, she's my movie mom. Uh-huh. Um, this was Donna Reed's first starring role. Wow. Uh, she just, uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, I, I, I was, you know, I was a little blown away actually when they first showed her in the film again, cause I had forgotten like how, how adorable she was. Um, yeah. Uh, Henry Fonda. Uh, was originally one of the people in the running for George Bailey's for that role as well, which would have been an interesting, an yeah, interesting different. Oh he yeah. Could have done it, but it would have been really different. Yeah. I don't know if he has, I, I don't know if I would have gotten, you don't get the same sort of, I don't mean this in a, in a bad way, but that same sort of like simpleton charm that Jimmy Stewart has It's the sort of innocence that he, he sort of like just exudes naturally. Yeah, even yeah. his um, even his rage, like even when he got angry, yeah. it was sympathetic. You know, it was like <laughs> right. you, you knew exactly where it was coming from. You know, Absolutely. that one time we he's shaking his uncle. You know, you're going to jail. I'm, which is probably the only time he's depicted as somewhat self centered in the yeah. in the entire film. And you're like, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> <It's>, uh, Jimmy <laughs> Bailey, George Bailey is not going down for this. This yeah. is bigger than George Bailey. Uh, so the raven that's uh, hopping around the Bailey building alone all the time uh, is apparently is named Jimmy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he appeared in every Frank Capra film after 1938. Oh. Wow. No. Who, who knows? But apparently Jimmy the Raven appears in all of Frank Capra's films after 38. So that's now I you know, want to go back. <laughs> yeah. Now you got to look films. that up. Um, it's interesting, Lathan, that you called him an auteur because this was the only film that Capra ever did that he did uh, write the screenplay or worked on the screenplay for. And the two people who originally wrote the screenplay, uh, a husband and wife team named Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett, um, found Capra to be disagreeable and were unhappy with working with him. And so when they found that he had rewritten whole portions of the screenplay, uh, they actually uh, they challenged him with arbitration with the Writers Guild to have his name removed from the credits, which they were unsuccessful with. Well, yeah, he's directing the movie, too. I mean, exactly. Exactly. I mean, he's, the way he directs is is what makes him more of the obviously makes him more of an auteur. It's. When you watch Mr. Smith goes to Washington in this movie, you can you you get you get what he's doing like really, really quick. So, yeah, like some some directors, you have to see a bunch of their films to get their style. But you could see those two films and you get what you get, how he's directing and how he does it. Yeah. And he put a little bit of uh, he did put a little bit of himself uh, in this film, Uh, the character of Martini is uh roughly based on his family uh the name capra in italian means goat which is why they have a goat with them also when they move oh that's that's classic yeah i didn't know that so uh yeah i mean you you look through you look through frank capra's uh yeah and it's you know there there's there's the core foundations of so much it ain't a fluke, in other words. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's, he's he's one of those guys who is mentioned on a very short list of names, who is recognizable for a reason, you know. So, but yeah, uh, I, I I never, 
you know, as far as Christmas films go, this isn't one that I would you know, go out of my way. I don't go out of my way to watch it every year. Like I said, I've only seen this probably three or four times all the way through in my life. I don't, uh, I don't seek it out. I don't, uh, it just doesn't, it's an, it's a, it's a, it's a, I get it. I tear up at the end like everyone else does and should, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, I'm not going to say it's not effective. It, it is. And I know, and I understand that it's a good movie. I just, for me personally, I don't, I don't hold it in the same regard as so many other people do. And that's just, that's just my own personal, you know, take on it. So, so sure. F me, F me. I'm sure I'm wrong. Just like Spider-Man too. Oh, another <laughs> level of wrong. Yeah. What's the matter with you? <laughs> <laughs> so that's, it's a wonderful don't, life. Don't ruin a good discussion. work. <laughs> 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 this show today folks i'm really glad you came and i hope you have a happy holiday with your family we sure are going to i miss uh, right I now miss i'm this. going to make my own eggnog from scratch because the show is over well lay as usual you're forgetting something we need to oh, go what to put in the eggnog we need to go at least one more place oh the north pole no we need to go down the tubes and again, the internet is not something that you just dump something on. It's not a big truck. It's, it's a series of tubes. Oh, man. You'd think this would get old after a while, but it doesn't. Oh, <laughs> That's what's really strange It's getting right, Hassan. <laughs> it's getting right. <laughs> All right. So let's get started with uh, the posters for It's a Wonderful Life. Uh uh, there were a couple. I this was a this was a uh, a newer a newer version. This was done for a uh, a newer release. It wasn't an original release, but um, it's got a bit of a I don't want to say it's got a bit of a Struzan esque feel, but it's got a bit of a more modern take. Um, yeah. You can I, tell it's it's more recent because it does showcase. All so the minor many. characters, yeah, yes. you know, yes. and and you would only do that if they had become iconic for whatever reason, you know. Right, right. And the thing is, is if you go to the next one, which is USB, uh, yeah, posters just had no cohesion back then. <laughs> it was just all well. Over the and place. here's the other thing: I didn't, I didn't, I didn't include it, but uh, this poster minus the the colored screenshot. Uh, was really the mass release poster. This was the secondary one with this sort of screenshot up in the corner. Um, the original one was just him. And again, an image of him hoisting her up, which never takes place in the film, oddly yeah. enough. It is odd. Um, I mean, it's a very... It catches know, the two of them because the love story between the two of them is... Yes, yes. ...is pivotal, but... I feel very much that it is of that relationship. I just feel like this poster doesn't tell the story of this movie in any way. Um, Unless, you know, you consider being married to Donna Reed a wonderful life. Well, fair arguable. enough. You know, that kind of works. Right. It would be a wonderful hour. <laughs> you don't know that. She may have been a tremendously nice person. That's true. Uh, so next we have the UK quad. Uh, a lot of these utilize mostly two images, the one of her hoisting her up and the other of him uh, in that sort of kissy embrace. 
he is very grabby in that film. Grabby. You 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 it's a it's a contemporary like like 2020 kind of you know um uh retroactive kind of trigger that that hits so every time he's like the kids he's holding the kids and his face is all over the kids and he's and he's holding Donna Reed and everything yeah. and it's almost like she's trying to struggle to get out from under him to 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 say her lines but it's really <laughs> subtle it's really it's not a it's not a deal breaker but it you know it just shows how sterilized, you know, as a as a culture we've become. Because it's like, man, he's kissing the, you know, he's kissing her quite a lot. You know, let the woman breathe. He's kissing her a lot. <laughs> All well, over her. So next is uh, another UK quad, a little slightly different version. Uh, and I found, like I said, I found I found multiples uh, and multiples. Of this image. Well, I found multiple versions for each country actually, and I, I didn't I didn't include all of them. But um, there are a lot of there were a lot and they were all hand painted and very much of the time. So there are a lot of uh, very interesting takes on on the looks of the characters in the film. Because obviously they're not done all by great artists with great likenesses. Um, uh, Germany. Is next Uh, likenesses. uh, Donna Reed's is really good. Um, Jimmy Stewart's is okay. No, it's not. (laughs) <laughs> it's not terrible it's 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 a little off but uh the thing i do like is i like the little clarence uh caricature here at the bottom you know like a book cover it's got it's a, it it's does a, feel like a book cover it's a spoiler though because it shows him with his wings that's true <laughs> yeah. that's true it definitely does um so next is uh one from italy and again i feel like they all took their cues off of the of the domestic off of the domestic um, posters. Uh, And I just feel like that, you know, none of these really capture the essence of this film. It's, it's, it's so strange. Uh, Next is one from Japan, which, uh, you know, some very nice artwork, but. It's there. All of these imply you already know you're familiar with the material, you know, and it's just, you know, yeah, and these are all original posters. So these aren't these aren't these aren't posters after the fact. These are these are the actual release posters. You know, um, so next with the second Japan poster, they used the other image, the hoisting above image, repainted. Yeah, that one looks like he's struggling to get her up. You know, like or I'm gonna put <laughs> I'm gonna put you on the mantle here. Yeah, it's trying to hang her on a hook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, once. <laughs> uh, Ah, Johnny Dangerously. Or he's like he's trying to make her his own personal elf on a shelf. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> you're my MILF on a shelf. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, so, she she pooted out quite a quite a litter for him. Yeah, man. right. <laughs> and kept her fi- and kept her figure. Yes. <laughs> and those uh, look like pretty robust kids. This so, looks like a bunch of powerful little right. kids. So so first up. Uh, is a is a great a great painted poster by Aaron Kirby, which fits right in with the with the sort of aesthetic of the of the original posters, uh, and that that great sequence of them walking home after the after the pool party. Yeah, yeah, but she looks like an adult, and he looks like a kid. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. She looks like it. This looks like a this looks like a naughty teacher. <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> Poster. Thanks. Thanks. You just you just ruined it. All right. 
<laughs> my job <laughs> uh next is a piece by barrett chapman uh that's a similar uh, uh, same scene but uh obviously the approach was quite different yeah i like this better this yeah, is a more a little more designy not bad what did you do want mary uh and then next is uh laurent durier's piece this guy is a uh, a master of of design and color uh, color choices as he uses are always great. Um, yeah, pretty good work. Yeah, this is just a beautiful piece. Uh, and then next is a piece oh. by Luke Martin. This is great. Yeah, that's the house, yeah. right? It's, the... it's the honeymoon. Yeah, it's the honeymoon yeah. shot with uh, the travel posters hung in the windows and. Yeah, it's a it's a really neat choice uh, for that for the for a poster. Uh, next is a, a poster by Paul Butcher. It's a kind of a neat image. Yeah, yeah, that's iconic with him in that uh, him and his arms out. Yeah, yelling "Merry Christmas." Merry Christmas, yo, Billy alone. <laughs> <laughs> The two things that I always remember from that movie is, of course, that line and uh, Mama Dollar and Papa Dollar. (laughs) (laughs) And let's hope they get busy. (laughs) I found the SNL skit, by the way. I sent it to the two of you. Oh, okay. Watch after this. Fantastic. (laughs) Fantastic. So so that's uh, that's the It's a Wonderful Life posters. All right. Which... uh, since we're not really doing a martini this time, what else did I watch? I watched a funny monologue with Will Ferrell on Saturday Night Live where Ryan Reynolds is sitting in the audience and he gets completely sidetracked by the fact that Ryan Reynolds is sitting in the audience. <laughs> he's crazy. just like, he just looks down and he's like, so really good to be back here in New York, blah, blah. And he looks down and he's like, uh, he, he's like, I, I'm sorry, but he's like, you, you, you look a lot like Ryan Reynolds. And he's like, he's like, yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, uh, are you? He goes, yeah, yeah, I, I am. <laughs> he goes, that's probably why. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> and then, and then the whole, the whole, obviously, the funny part of the bit is the fact that he can't get past the fact that Ryan Reynolds is there <laughs> at the show to see him. That's funny. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's just, a, it's just a Will Ferrell being Will Ferrell. But um, what I didn't know was apparently Timothy Oliphant, part of my Oliphant wormhole. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of the a lot of these guys who do like late is that night like the Overton window? You get you have an Oliphant wormhole. I, I have an Oliphant. I have an Oliphant wormhole. You know, as I'm doing my as I'm doing my advanced prep for our Justified podcast. Um, <laughs> yes, our Justified okay. our Justified rewatch podcast. Review. Yes, we are rewatching and Latham. Well, we just hate every episode. And, and Latham will, Latham <laughs> will like it. Latham will watch it for the first time. Yeah, um, possibly. That'd be fun. Well, we'll, to, that'd be fun to do. We'll be rewatching um, Justified, and Latham will will review an episode of ER in the middle of the in the middle of the <laughs> well, show. You know, well, and that's and that would be part of the fun of it was the the fact that we both have seen it multiple times all the way through and love and you'll it. You'll see it for the first time, and well, no, and knowing knowing the kind of television that Latham appreciates, and he appreciates good TV and well written television, and I, it'll be interesting to see if he appreciates it as much as we do. 
on that level. It'd be, it'd be fun to, to go through the whole six season run, you know, and see how the, you know, and how the seasons break down because, you know, as we know, obviously there, you know, the, the show is, I feel pretty consistent all the way through. I think there's a, a couple of seasons later on where there's some, there are some soft spots in the season, but overall the seasons are pretty consistent all the way through as being successful. There's not like you don't go back and go, eh, well, you know, the first season of next generation, you know, was really <laughs> just sort of, you know, really the soft spot. And, you know, they didn't really get grooving until the second and third seasons, you know, stuff like no, that. No, I think it, I think it has a level of quality and never, never goes below that level. There is, there is like a narrative. It's like a strange narrative shift in between two seasons where at the end of one season, supposedly he's going to get a promotion. And then right. the next season, he just doesn't, you know, right. he, he's, he's on the same level again. So that, but right. that's probably the only inconsistent moment I can think of in the whole show. And it's not even a deal breaker that he, you know, because anything could happen that stopped him from getting a promotion that would right. happen off camera. Right. So, yeah, but I would be, that'd be, it'd be a fun, I mean, listen, there's only 78 episodes. So, I mean, it'd be, you know, be easy enough to do within the course of, you know, over the course of time. Um, you know, and you don't have, we don't have to, and honestly, we don't have to spend three hours talking about every episode. So it'd be an yeah. easy enough. It'd be an easy enough one to do as guys kind of as a, uh, an addendum as an, addendum. I do it. I know you would. <laughs> it's just a matter of uh, once Latham, once Latham's done with his movie after the first of the year, we can talk about uh, seeing if we can make the logistics work out. Yeah. What would be great is to, to advertise that show, to do that as a, you know, as a, a, a big setup and have a lot of a big lead in and have Latham like really hate the, the first episode. And now we're stuck, yeah. like trying to trying to get through the whole show. <laughs> we don't get him back on yeah, board until like the fifth guy season. For 70 more <laughs> yeah, right. He just watches the first one and is just like, right, right, guys, I got too. a big problem. <laughs> But we're committed. We have to do this. <laughs> yeah, I think I think yeah. the important one for that show would be to have like two or three episodes recorded before we move on. Through yes, like before be we sure. before we announce anything. Like, oh no, no, we we, we were gonna do it, and then things happened. But the, on the on the plus side is, is I can I can definitely get at least one actor on as we've had him on who was on the show. So <laughs> yeah, and that could lead to something else depending on how. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. You know. You know, if I could, if I could reach out and get and get, uh, get Oliphant or Goggins to, to come oh, on. My God. I know there's a, I found a great, uh, there's a two part. Um, I don't know who it was done for, but it's basically him. It was basically Tim and Walt sitting next to each other, just having a conversation about making the show. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's like the, translated it's in, in Portuguese or something, but, uh, it's done in two parts. It's, it's a lot of fun. I think it's probably one of the extra features in the DVD because there's a couple oh, of those okay. where, um, where the two of them, and it's really funny because they have completely different, uh, you know, like diverging views on the relationship between the two characters, yeah. which is pretty funny. Um, Walton Goggins line in the pilot, I think when, uh, when someone pulls a gun on him, it's like woman, <laughs> <laughs> is, is that all you do is shoot people at the supper table? <laughs> You're right. right. <laughs> oh, what a, what a, oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah. Yep. They were talking, well, I talk about like, gushing about it. I know, I know. It's like, it's hard because I want to, I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> preface anything before Latham sees that show. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I'll watch it. It's so good. But, uh, 
Yeah, we've already ruined it for him by setting no, up his no, expectations. No, no. <laughs> I've heard no. it's good. Like someone did for me with um, uh, Breaking Bad, man. I could never hear anything but glowing stuff about Breaking oh, yeah. Bad. And so, like, you watch a show and it's really good, but you keep waiting for this thing to explode, you know? And it's like, no, this is just a, everyone's loving it because it's a really solid show. But because right. everybody glowed about it, you know, before right. going in. And listen, I, I learned a long time ago that, you know, everyone everyone has things they like and things they don't like. And they're not always going to align with the things I like and don't like. So, you know, I can appreciate something for being very well done. And it's just not my cup of tea, uh, you know. Totally fair. So, you know, listen, I saw I watched the I watched the pilot and I watched the last episode of Breaking Bad. So <laughs> I, I knew how it begins and I saw how it ends. I still um, haven't know, gotten to the end yet. I'm oh, still, really? I'm still working my way through it. Yeah. yeah, when they made such a big such a big deal about the the final episode, I I, know. Uh, I went out of my way to watch the final episode, and uh, somebody I was telling it to was like, "Why are you watching the final? You haven't watched any of it." I go, "I saw the first episode. I watched the beginning, <laughs> and I watched the end. What else do I need?" And they're like, "You have to find out how he got to that." Point. I'm like, "Dude, you think you think between Twitter and Facebook, I don't know how he got where he was going? Give me a break." Yeah, you know. Yeah. That's how I can peripherally follow stuff like The Walking Dead and not ever have to watch the show after the third season. I get enough fucking spoilers throughout the course of a week. And and honestly, the same thing with Mandalorian. That's why I don't that's why I don't feel like this pressing need to run out and watch it, because it's like I kind of get the highlights ahead of time. And I'm like, all right, I'll 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 go back and watch it eventually. But there's no pressing need for me to go watch it. It's the stuff that people don't talk about that I'm driven to watch more or more likely to watch just because I don't know anything about it, you know, but yet fair. people yeah. still, but people still say is good, but it's stuff kind of off, off the main line of, of, uh, of that universe, you know, or, or like, you know, for example, you know, obviously with like winter soldier and Falcon, once that series hits, I'll be all over that immediately just because that's something I'm wait I've been waiting for. And I love the winter soldier character. And I like the relationship between those two and how they've sort of built it and how they play off each other. I, I think that that's a fun, it's a fun banter between those two guys. And, you know, it's just, I, I think that show is going to be a lot of fun. And if they, they take it in the direction that looks like they're taking it, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really entertaining stuff to be had there. Uh, and I'm excited about WandaVision just because I think that it's going to be so weird and so different from everything else they've been doing in the Marvel universe. Uh, that's got me excited for that as well. Cause I, you know, that that's, it's basically them, you know, it almost seems like they're going to use it to preemptively prepare you for the next phase of the Marvel universe. Yeah. And, you know, and I just, you know, and if it sets the table and it's got that weird aspect to it, I'm all for it. Uh, well, are we going to wrap? Are we going to wrap it up? TV, I got to go shopping, believe it or not. So, oh, boy. Oh. What do you, what are you going? shopping on Christmas Eve? Yeah, I do it every year, Hassan, because I'm an idiot. I'm going to Barnes and Noble. Just declare war on Christmas. It's it's much easier on the wallet. <laughs> now oh, the yeah, downside yeah. is you don't get presents, <laughs> but you know it's still. I just have two things left for my daughter. I know where they are. So all right, awesome. Good luck. Alrighty. Uh... <laughs> 
And on that note. And on that note, you guys have a very Merry Christmas. And uh, You too, Latham. You too, pal. All right. Well, while you're out today, uh, buy me something nice. Um, <laughs> got it. Already Thank- did, actually. Thanks to Fesley and Music. Please check out our website at cinementalpod.com for all the poster images we discuss on our Down the Tube segments. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Cinemental wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can always listen to new episodes at cinementalpod.com. Also, you can also follow us on all major social media accounts at cinementalpod. For Asan Godwin, Latham Conger, myself, we say thank you so much for listening. And as always, in the words of our friend and toy delivery engineer, Truman Burbank. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Uh, Hey. (laughs) <laughs> no, okay. <laughs>